0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: It's the last show of the week for Spain and Fitz, which means we got a lot to get to. We got a world series to preview. We got a NWSL championship to talk about. We got Thursday night football to get into, and we got a whole slate of Sunday games as well. Too much, too little time. So we got to get into it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80 ESPN radio is presented by progressive insurance. Fitz, Let's kick it off with some Thursday night football. 4 and 3 Ravens, 3 and 4 Bucks, 8:15 p.m. Eastern start on Amazon. Uh the biggest thing for me in this one is can the Ravens finish
2: and who the heck are the Bucks that show up? You know, I keep looking at it saying uh, for the Ravens, you you are great for 3 quarters and terrible for 1. So what fixes that? And then the other side of it for for uh, Tampa Bay is that everything's just falling apart. So if everything's falling apart, at some point you need the lifeline. So uh, we've said so many times on this show that we are not going to bet against Brady, but I think this year there's just a wall for all of the brands that we're used to saying, hey, they figure it out. It's not there this year for Brady. So I'm really interested to see. I think the Ravens are the better football team, but can they put four consecutive quarters of quality football together? If they do, it'll feel like the first time they've done it all year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that if the Ravens lose this game, it's their fault. They should win against a Bucks team that just hasn't been able to put enough together. Um, Tom Brady, getting the kind of questions he's not used to. A legendary career, has not <laughs> had struggles like this. Uh, this is a bit of a leading question. I'll give him that, but you could tell he did not like
2: being asked this in his presser. I, I, <laughs> it's I love so salty. I mean, I don't blame him on that one, though. Like for, it wasn't a great question. For, for, uh, we break down the fourth wall every once in a while. Like there, there used to be interview classes you took at ESPN, and one of the things uh-huh. that, that Sawatsky, the person that taught that class, always said is anticipate the answer and then figure out if the question's any good. Like, what do you think Brady's going to say to that? <laughs> nah, we're going to suck. Might as well not it even was, show up. It,
1: it was basically like... Is there any reason to think you'll make an improvement? (laughs) Like it just—it wasn't—it wasn't wasn't great. We'll get into Thursday night football more in the show. We'll have experts on both sides help preview it for us. Um, Hasn't been a good run thus far for Amazon Prime on Thursdays. We'll see if they get a good matchup tonight. In the meantime, we got some big football news to get to today. The first we were texting pre-show. We had no idea that any of this was going on. I don't know how many of y'all out there had any idea that Jamar Chase was dealing with health issues. But we find out that the Bengals stars expected to be out four to six weeks with a hip injury. This, according to Adam Schefter, first had some issues in the week six win over the Saints, was limited in practice ahead of last week's win over the Falcons. Looked like he pulled up at one point, was able to finish the game, didn't really talk much about the injury. But now we're hearing four to six weeks, and this right when the Bengals are finally starting to fire on all cylinders, really look like they're flying out there on offense. This is, first of all, extremely disappointing, Fitz. But also, you just don't want to see something that sounds like they don't have a great grasp or idea of how much – Uh, time he's going to miss and how much this recovery might require.
2: It's such a leap to go from, yeah, it looks a little hobbled to all of a sudden four to six weeks. And and then you think about the Bengals offense and the way they're built. And part of what makes Jamar Chase special is that he gets open so quickly, right? So we know that the offensive line doesn't have to do a ton of heavy lifting for the Bengals offensively within their scheme because Burrow's going to get back there and he's going to heave it however he needs to to Jamar Chase, who's always going to be open, taking away that dynamic element, of this offense absolutely pulls back on where I expect the Bengals to be. And, and, you know, just continues this trend of nobody can separate in the AFC other than the chiefs and the bills. Everybody else seems to have something that gets in the way. This is the roadblock for the Bengals. And I think it's a huge loss for them for the next month.
1: Uh, Kelsey Conway, who covers the team, uh, for the Inquirer, Cincinnati Inquirer wrote, from the sources I spoke with about his injury, the reason the timeline's so up in the air for Jamar Chase is the team hopes because of his physical makeup, his hip will heal faster than the average person. As the Ringers' Kevin Clark said, the team's literal di- diagnosis is he's built different. Uh, it reminds me of Dak. Like, oh, we're not going to put him on any injury reports because he might be back in like a week. And I think, <laughs> and I haven't done the math on this, he missed five straight games. Isn't that like longer than what, dr jerry jones expected when they decided not to put him on ir oh my god
2: now all i can do every time i hear jerry jones is think dr jones dr jones, dr. jones! Oh my god that is uh, thing. jamar
1: chase yeah so four to six weeks likely on that hip that's a real bummer for the Bengals. hopefully he heals fast faster than the average human even it's spain and fitz sarah spain <laughs> jason fitz espn radio uh while we're on the topic of receivers the chiefs have acquired wide receiver Kadarius Toney from the Giants for picks. Conditional third-round pick and a sixth-round pick, according to Schefter. Uh, Kadarius Toney has missed the Giants' last five games because of hamstring injuries. He missed 12 of a possible 24 career games to start his career because of a variety of injuries and COVID. Um, In 12 games he's played, 41 catches, 420 yards. Obviously high expectations for him. Uh, But the reaction to this trade was interesting to me, Fitz, because first – you got Mina Kimes, who said this, which seems to be like, well, I, yeah, I think they actually might use him in Casey The
3: fact that they sent a conditional third tells you this is not a throwaway pick. This is not a, hey, let's see what this guy has. They probably plan to lose him, use him, pardon me, if they're trading that much. Now, as for mm-hmm. how they're going to use him... I think this just gives them another answer versus different kinds of defensive looks. Um, If they run into those two high looks you saw a lot of last year, he can work underneath and get you yards after the catch using those Frogger-like qualities, those rare movement skills. If they play man coverage, what they've seen a lot of this year, his shiftiness and ability to get open quickly at the line of scrimmage should come in handy. Now, these are a lot of ifs because we haven't seen this guy play a lot of football, but for a team with Super Bowl aspirations, it makes sense.
1: We're okay, building. so Mina says yeah, Mina says they probably <laughs> plan to use him. Bart Scott is like, ah, fire sale, this is insane. How are they allowed to make this trade?
0: Kadarius Tony is the best receiver on their team right now. On the Chiefs. Right now. Instantly because a, a better, guy that better than Harmon. A guy that has done literally nothing at the NFL level, <laughs> and now he's the best. Better than Harmon, better than Juju, better than better than Valdez Canley. This dude's a problem, man. This dude is so talented, it's ridiculous. And they just get a player like that that somebody had to spend a first-round draft pick, they get him for a conditional third.
2: Do you think that – We need to boycott – this should be Chris Paul (laughs) not being able to go to the Lakers. I, I'm stunned by Bart Scott's level of of love for this. I loved Kadarius Tony coming out of college. I thought he was great at Florida. It was absolutely and i I've you know Devin producer extraordinaire is a big Giants fan. And when they drafted him, I text Devin. I was like, Oh, y'all got a star. I think we were all wrong about Kadarius Tony. I don't know how you take the limited work that he's done in the NFL that's been worth anything and suddenly make him who he was in college. Sure, he's talented, but what, what's that mean? I I, I want a party with Bart Scott. Like he's 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 on one today. <laughs>
1: yeah, or he's just like really good at hyping up people that don't quite deserve it. So we want him to like introduce us at our next negotiation or like the panel we're speaking on. This guy, the best radio host on the network right now. Shut it down. Uh, Canary's Tony, interestingly, has a giant, no pun intended, tattoo on his back with the number 89. Uh, From what I can gather, he will not be number 89 with the Chiefs which presents him with a unique problem uh, and also is inexplicable because, Fitz, you looked on the roster and other than a practice player, no one's got that number, right?
2: Yeah, there's a practice squad player that has number 89. I would think Kadarius, with his guarantee alone from the first round draft pick, could go in and be like, hey, man, let's, uh, let's do a little deal. Like Once you got that tatted on your back, pretty sure you got to keep that number. I, it just feels like that's the way that works.
1: I'm going to put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Let us know what he could turn that tattoo into. Oh, I'm I love curious. that. I'm curious if you think there is any way. Maybe he's just Wait a big Taylor, Taylor
2: Swift fan, like 1989. Maybe go. that's all he's doing, right?
1: And we did look it up. He was not born then. Yeah, so that's no, not going to work. No. Uh, let us know if you can think of it. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold. Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. At Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz is where you can get us there. Coming up, the NWSL gearing up for its championship and an off season that is sure to be, hopefully will be, full of changes. We'll get into all that next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: We got Thursday Night Football tonight. We got a whole slate of NFL and college football this weekend. We got a World Series starting tomorrow that's bumping this show. But we can't forget this weekend the NWSL Championship between the, the uh, Kansas City Current and Portland Thorns. These are two teams uh, facing off in uh, what should be a really exciting match and really good television coverage for the championship this year. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's bring on the athletic women's soccer writer, Steph Yang, to talk about it. She's out in D.C. Steph, I want to start with the news of the day quick before we get to the championship game. Sophia Smith, named MVP, 22 years old, youngest ever. A lot of folks thought this was Alex Morgan's award to win. Uh, What's the reaction to Sophia winning?
3: I think that it's pretty well-deserved. She was, I think, only one goal behind Alex Morgan in scoring this season, and she's demonstrated she's been a really integral part of that Thorns lineup. And even if she's not scoring, she's opening up space for them. Yeah, really talented player, one to watch.
2: All right, so So let's get to the championship because I think it's incredible that this is going to be on CBS on Saturday and obviously on Paramount Plus too. So uh, when you look at that, what does it mean for the league? What's it mean for the sport that they're getting a national platform on Saturday?
3: I think it's a good build for when they eventually do uh, renegotiate you know, future rights for the league. I think getting on big CBS and the deal with Paramount Plus for streaming has been a pretty good experiment so far in, in partnership. And I really hope that it's something the league can use to boost their overall, the dollar value of their rights.
1: Yeah, there was issues with that last TV deal that prevented a lot of teams from having their own local television coverage, which prevented local growth. And uh, certainly some concerns about people subscribing to Paramount Plus only to have playoff games beyond other services that they didn't have. So lots to still figure out as they continue to try to grow as a league and make those negotiations. But hopefully uh, the CBS uh, primetime coverage will be helpful here. Let's talk about this matchup. And you can follow Steph Yang, by the way, at Thrace, T-H-R-A-C-E, on Twitter. Um, Portland Thorns, definitely the favorites here, but Kansas City Current coming kind of from nowhere last year to find their way into this matchup. How do you see it?
3: I think this is actually a really good matchup of two teams. I think there is a big weight of expectation on the Thorns. They've got two stars above the crest. They've been Shield winners before. But KC has a little bit of that touch of like Team of Destiny feeling about them after the way they struggled. They lost important players early this season like Sam Lewis and Lynn Williams. But then they just kind of kept together, stayed cohesive, built a real team identity. Coming from last place to now championship contenders. I think there's a lot of momentum behind KC. So uh, I think they might be a little bit of a hammer and the Thorns might be a little bit of the anvil.
2: I love that analogy. Uh, Steph, uh, what's the vibe like around D.C. with this coming?
3: The vibe around D.C., uh, it's pretty excited so far. We just did some media two days out from the game. We had players talking about it. Everybody seems pretty engaged, hyped up for, you know, it's always a, a good time at the championship game. There's going to be a lot of local events. There's a lot of other, you know, uh, panels and stuff going on around this. So I think it's, um, it's going to be a good party. Eight
1: o'clock Central, nine Eastern Saturday night on uh, on CBS. Uh, This is the NWSL championship. All eyes will be on these two teams and especially on the current ability, like you said, to bounce back from last place and also the investment that's coming from the ownership there. Tell us about the stadium they're building and how they're setting sort of a new model for the league on the money that needs to be spent and the facilities that need to be uh, available for these players.
3: Right. Well, the Current have invested in both a training facility and a riverfront stadium specifically for their women's team. They're not building it for a men's team and saying the women's team are also going to come along. This is primarily for the Current to be the main tenants of the stadium in KC. So it's a real financial investment, obviously, to the tune of, I think, over $100 million for the stadium. Um, And the players and Coach Matt Potter have talked about how the training facility – has had an impact as you might imagine having your own home to go and feel comfortable at and train every day. And, you know, not always be wondering, are we training at this facility today, this facility today? Um, Yeah. And I think it's been a great model for expansion teams in the league, especially if you're not in a market like New York or LA or even Chicago, where, yeah, you're coming in maybe in what might be perceived as a smaller market in in the Midwest area, but there's ways to sell that and to turn it into something that, hopefully become sustainable and profitable.
2: So educate me, Steph, on how that differs from what most teams right now in the NWSL are, are, are dealing with.
3: Well, most of the teams are not the primary tenant at the stadiums where they play, or they're not the primary tenant at, you know, where they wherever they train. Um, a lot of teams do have deals in place. For example, Gotham plays at Red Bull. Um, the Spirit are trying to get a lot more games here at Audi. Obviously, the Portland Thorns play at Providence Park. But, you know their concerns will always eventually maybe take a back seat to other events that are going on, or they might not have the access that they really want. They might have to change their scheduling around because they're not the ones in control of the facility. So I think KC being a team that has come in and has dedicated facilities specifically to the team has kind of set the bar for any new teams that want to come in or even existing teams in the ways that they have to upgrade their facilities for the players.
1: Steph Yang of The Athletic, who covers women's soccer there, joins us here on Spain & Fitz, ahead of the NWSL Championship on Saturday in D.C. Steph, uh, you know – you talk about setting a standard, the Portland Thorns and their fan base have set one for the league for years running incredible attendance and support. We saw that during the, the post season here, but that's almost in spite of uh, the ownership concerns and the scandal around the team. Do you think they're affected at all in their on field efforts because of what's going on at the highest levels?
3: Uh, how can you not be, you know, the, i The Yates report that came out earlier that detailed a lot of the issues with NWSL, these are people that they know. It's someone you see every day and you see their name come up in the report, that sort of thing. Um, So, yeah, I don't see how they couldn't have been affected by it. Um, And, you know, we did see the players, Bella Bixby made a tweet saying that she understood fans' reactions, but she hoped uh, fans would come out to see the players anyway because that's how they feel supported. You know, Crystal Dunn talked about after that big semifinal hosted at Providence Park how the fan reaction and support actually was really meaningful for the players. Um, They all understand that fans are having this dilemma where they don't want to financially contribute to someone who they perceive as being part of the problem in NWSL, but at the same time, how else do they you know, locally show up and show that they support the players? So they appreciate that it's a dilemma for people making that decision. Um, I do think part of what helped with the semifinal is that, the Thorns promised that after break-even covering costs, they would be donating um, the proceeds from that match to charity. So that is one approach that the team took that I think helped, but you could see that meant a lot to the players to have a big, loud, packed stadium.
1: Hey, real quick before we let you go, Steph, 30 seconds or less, uh, do you anticipate that uh, Red Stars, Portland, any other teams will be changing ownership this offseason, or do you think it will take longer?
3: I think Red Stars are absolutely one team that you look at because the players themselves would come out with a statement saying they have no faith in Arnham Whistler. Um, This is something that happened in the Washington spirit before them, and we saw what happened with that change in ownership to Michelle Conk. So I absolutely would see the Red Stars as someone to keep an eye on.
1: It'll be tough with uh, with Portland because of the connection to the MLS team as well. That's going to be different. Uh, Thanks so much for the time, Steph. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, guys. You can follow her at Thrace, T-H-R-A-C-E, on
2: Twitter. Coming up, World Series talk here on Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. All right, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a baseball game tomorrow. I mean, it feels kind of weird because we we got so used to sitting around because we didn't get to do shows together during much of the Major League Baseball playoff that – you know, you, you, Now we've had a few days together, but tomorrow we will not be here because ESPN Radio is your home for all things World Series. So we figured let's get a little insight from our buddy ESPN Major League Baseball reporter, Jesse Rogers. Jesse, thanks for the time, as always. Uh, it feels like there's just been this silence for the last few days, and Sarah and I were talking about it yesterday that— It's almost like this series lacks some Kardashian-like drama. What's the thing that you're (laughs) most excited about with this particular World Series?
0: Well, actually, I mean, I know we've been there, done that with the Astros on the road, but we haven't seen it in Philadelphia. I'm actually looking forward to those Philly fans and what kind of reception they have for Houston. I know that's kind of an old storyline, but again it's it's gonna be new for the for the Philly fans and I've been covering the Phillies these last few rounds and I'll tell you what, it is electric at Citizens Bank Park. I'm sure it's gonna be electric here tomorrow. I was here last year for the World Series. So I'm kinda of looking for the looking forward to the Astros on the road and I mean the storylines are great. Look, Dusty trying to win his first. Verlander on that side. Two two older guys. You know, Verlander wasn't part of this last year. Lance McCullers is back with the Astros. Dusty talked about having him this year. They didn't have him last year, and they came up short against the Braves. On the Phillies side, it's Bryce Harper and, and Rob Thompson. Too. You know, uh, Thompson's a lifer. They like to call it, but he's never had this opportunity. All of a sudden, he's in the World Series. Here's Bryce Harper left Washington. They win a World Series. Now he gets his first crack at it. So. There'll be great storylines as they develop, but um, I mean, I'm used to these Astro fans. They'll be great. They'll be into it, but I'm really looking forward to Houston at Philadelphia games three, four and five. That's going to be electric um, at citizens bank park.
1: Jesse, I asked uh, Tim Kirchner this, but I wonder if you feel the same way Uh, outside of obviously Houston fans who want to move on. How do you feel, the rest of baseball thinks about this Astros team because fans certainly haven't forgotten and certainly still believe them undeserving of their previous title.
0: Right. I mean, people just can't get it out of their, out of their mind and what there's like yeah. two or three of these hitters left, right? There's Alcube, yeah. there's Bregman in mean, their big names, but that's it. The, t- the roster's kind of turned over, but still people can't get it out of their minds. It, it, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I I guess they do need to win one clean for to really prove it um to the world that they're they're that good, but I think they've kind of proven they're pretty darn good since the whole cheating scandal, they made it here last year, they haven't gotten any trouble since since this all went down. So, I mean, it just feels like they have um this I guess stink on them, right? Um and I don't even know of winning it because people probably won't even trust them in, at the end of the day. So, I mean when you talk to them about it they just they're past it right this is years later they're trying to win it for themselves the city certainly is behind them they want to win it for Dusty and like I said there's only a few hitters left um from, from the scandal so most of these guys I don't I don't think you can put it on them they weren't here
2: So Jesse I mean right now the Astros are unbeatable it's what what it looks like every yeah. single night how do the Phillies need to what do they need to do to beat them
0: yeah, well, first of all, I, I think splitting here would be nice. Like, you got to punch them in the mouth at some point. Um, Seattle came close. I guess the Yankees in game four kind of came close, but no one's beaten them. And getting down two zero, 0 and even though you're going back home, it's just it's such a hole. So somehow you got to get a win, but easier said than done. Um, let me say this about the Phillies. they're They're the clear underdog, there's no doubt. But they are a hot underdog. They're an underdog with incredible mojo right now. So if you're going to be an underdog, this is the kind of underdog you want to be. You have a little chip on your shoulder. You're hot as hell. Um, I I picked the Astros to sweep the Yankees. There's no way in heck I'm doing that in this series. So I think the Phillies have something going that that, that intangible that that an underdog needs. I mean, what do they need to do? They need to get to their their pitching. They need to score some runs when, when the game matters early in the game. Like I said, punch the, 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 punch the Astros pitching staff in the mouth somewhere along the line here. It's so difficult. They just keep on throwing arms at you. Um, even late in a, in a series in the rotation, they're, they're still really good pitchers. I mean, the be- depth on the Astro staff is better than the Phillies. But, look, Nola and Wheeler are good. So, somehow, steal win with your aces on the mound and getting to their pitching staff and maybe put a little doubt in their minds. That's, that's the only thing I could come up with because no one else has come up with anything yet. Right. <laughs> Fact.
1: Jesse Rogers is with us. ESPN MLB reporter. You can follow him at Jesse Rogers ESPN on Twitter. It's Spain and Fitz previewing the world series that starts tomorrow night. Our buddy Kyle Schwarber, who was a big part of the Cubs, finally ending their drought and winning it all, has been a big part of this Phillies team and is considered one of the leaders, partly because of that experience. What is it about Schwarber and this team that makes him such a good leader?
0: You know, I was at Philly Spring Training, and Dave Dombrowski was talking about, remember, they signed Schwarber and a few days later Castellanos, but the key was the first signing. Castellanos was the icing on the cake. Schwarber was key. They wanted another power bat, obviously, but they knew they needed a little bit more in that locker room. There's a there's an organization that hadn't been in the playoffs in a decade. Yeah, Bryce had a little taste, but um, different kind of leader, right? A little, a little quiet. And so they targeted Schwarber for the on the field, but also because of what he brings to the clubhouse. And then, and then Castellanos was just kind of like fill out the lineup. And what I learned in writing a story about him today at ESPN.com, actually, is just this, this self-deprecating style that he brings to baseball that I, that I kind of knew, but I, the full picture became more apparent as I wrote this story. And, and think about this game of failure that we love, baseball, and if you can bring that self-deprecating style to a locker room and loosen things up, that's quite amazing. He's a guy that will make fun of himself. And if a 46-home run hitter can make fun of himself, <laughs> then you better believe that Alec Bohm at third base, after he makes some errors, should be able to make some fun of himself. And Bryce Harper, who's very serious-looking, right, that's, that's something he brought to this locker room. Hey, loosen up. Don't take yourself so seriously. And that was key, I think, for this particular organization. It's a fan base that will get on you, right? It's very tight. We know that what happened with Alec Bohm early in the season. So I think he brought something that loosened them up and and it started with being able to make fun of himself.
2: So Jesse, we started this conversation talking about the fact that there's been several days of no games and when you start talking about the World Series and the rest element of this, how do the short series of the CS level impact the World Series that we're about to see?
0: I think it may have impacted the Phillies more than than the Astros because of what I said, they they had a they had a mojo going that they're going to have to you know, start up again. And I, I don't doubt that they can do it in the world series. I think it'd be great for them. If they were starting at home, they finished at home, the LCS. And it was, I was, there. Was so rocking. Um, it it would have been nice if two days later, they were home. Like that would be the perfect scenario. If two days later they were playing at home, but that isn't, that isn't the case. So it will be interesting to see, you know, at the plate, especially what Philly can bring. I think Houston's just a machine right now. I think they're going to be fine. They've been here before they were here last year. Um, They have plenty of extra pitching. If someone is a little rusty on the mound tomorrow, Verlander, he even talked about the layoff, you know, they'll go to the next guy. So I think Houston's going to be okay with the layoff. I'm curious to see how um, Bryce and and Schwarber and these guys are at the plate after a few days off and starting on the road. So I, I, I do think it's a little bit of, hey, we need to start the engine again on the Philadelphia side, but look, it's the world series. I mean, if you're not ready and can't get up for it and your adrenaline's not pumping, you know, you're probably not going to, wouldn't have made it this far in the first place.
1: Jesse Rogers talking to Spain and Fitz here on ESPN radio ahead of the world series. Starting tomorrow night, the road to the world series goes through ESPN radio catch all the postseason action presented by AutoZone on ESPN radio and the ESPN app. Before we let you go, Jesse, usually during the world series, somebody's, you know, makes a name and everybody learns about them and falls in love. Who's that going to be this year?
0: You know, I'll, I'll just off the top of my head and, and, you know, obviously Astro fans like him and know him, um, Jeremy Pena, the shortstop, the the rookie shortstop that took over for Carlos Correa. I, he's just, he's, he's just, he's solid. And I, you know, we know all the other names, right? We know Bryce, we know, we know, um, we know Jordan Alvarez, we know Kyle Tucker, I mean, Altuve, they've all been there. But this guy, there's something about him. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, next playoff will be the coming out party. But he's already been really good, obviously, winning, winning one game. Um, and yeah. he was good during the regular season. So I think the national audience is going to get to know Jeremy Pena in a big way.
2: Very cool. Real quick hey, before we stop- let you go, what, what, what's your pick, Jesse? Yeah. Hemmed
0: and I'm going with the Astros in seven. It wouldn't shock me if the Phillies won in seven, but I do think it's going to be a long
2: series. Oh, see, that's a, that's why he's the expert. Giving
1: some hope to the Phillies fans. Jesse, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Enjoy the game tomorrow.
2: Take care.
0: Anytime.
1: At Jesse Rogers ESPN is where you could follow him. If you're thinking about putting a wager, you could listen to Jesse's take Astros in seven, or our own Joe Fordenbaugh also has some betting tips for the World Series.
0: My pick for the World Series: Give me the Philadelphia Phillies plus the 170. I know this is everyone's favorite underdog
2: story, but are they really an underdog? You got a top 10 payroll, you got a lineup that can rake for days, two bona fide aces, and a solid bullpen. What am I missing here? They ran through St. Louis. They ran through the defending champion, Atlanta Braves. They ran through the San Diego Padres, and yet people still view them as this little upstart underdog. That's affecting the pricing, and I think that gives us good value on the Phillies at a price of plus 170 to win the World Series. Awesome stuff.
1: Put in your wages if you got some money to burn. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain and Jason Fitz. We're a little more than a week into the NBA season, and the drama surrounding the Lakers and Nets is already in mid-season form. We'll get into that and more NBA next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. At Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. This is our last show of the week uh, because the World Series will be there tomorrow. Uh, So uh, you don't want to miss that. Remember, every single pitch, every single minute of World Series action, ESPN Radio always has you covered. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. You know the best thing about not having a show tomorrow, Sarah? It's that we're not going to have to talk about the Lakers. Like, th- right. I, I mean, the Lakers. Right, listen,
1: this isn't going to last much longer. We're only talking about them because it's like, holy cow, this is atrocious. Eventually, we'll be like, yeah, still atrocious. Don't even need to spend any time on them.
2: Do you think so? Like, that? this is the great debate because we are so infatuated with the brand of the Lakers. I wonder if no matter how bad it gets, we're still going to find ways to, to have conversations about it every day. And for anyone that didn't see, I mean, a- again, we have a Lakers loss last night, 110-99 to the Nuggets. Uh, and it, it just another embarrassing effort. Frankly, uh, this team simply is atrocious to watch. Like it's it's not just that they're losing games; it's that it's painful, bad basketball when you watch it go down. Sarah.
1: Yeah, I mean the reason I say that is because last year we we did give up on on the Lakers and caring. Most people did right once we recognized that it was atrocious. I think when you've got a legendary player like LeBron, who some believe is the greatest ever. And he's wasting away in a position like this. When you have a superstar like Anthony Davis, who was supposed to be the transition piece from LeBron to the next stretch of Lakers greatness, when you've got a former MVP who's a full-on pariah now in Russell Westbrook, and you've got a market that has big expectations, and they're setting literal records for the history of the NBA for offensive futility, it's a story. And LeBron is 0-4 for the first time since he was a rookie in the NBA. We watched last night, at least I did, and they hung with him for a bunch of the game. But it was just, you know, there's a point that the Nuggets put their foot on the gas and and the Lakers just couldn't keep up. Um, Brian Windhorst was on uh, Get Up today. And, you know, I do think it's worth noting that Westbrook is getting so much of the heat in part because he's an easy target and he's been terrible. But he's not the only problem.
0: Russell Westbrook didn't play, but their guys are shooting the ball as a group terribly. I'm now starting to see them pass up shots, which is a whole nother issue. And their defense is built around Anthony Davis, who is now suffering a little bit. Um, The last time we saw offensive numbers this bad was the 2012 Bobcats, who won seven games, and the 2015 76ers, who coined the term, trust the process. It's gotta get better because it can't get any worse offensively for them. Mm. Uh, those uh, numbers can't are... get any
1: worse than that voice. That's mid-season party voice from Windhorse, by the way. Oh, by the way, also fits Windhorse on my podcast this week, and he tells the story of when he lost half of his body's blood and had to get put on life support.
2: Oh my God. I mean that yeah. y- that you gotta check out you that's haven't what heard she it. said. Tune I mean, in. I have yep. not heard that story, so it gives me even more reason to want to listen to it this week. And you're right, party voice in full effect but staggering statistics from him. And, and look, uh, the, the Lakers are so desperate that apparently they're even trying to get some former stars to come out of retirement just to help sh- shoot. Dave Pash, Richard Jefferson, and J.J. Reddick talked about it today on the NBA on ESPN.
0: Richard, we almost had a two-man booth tonight because uh, some of the Lakers were tempting J.J. to put on a jersey to help with that three-point shooting. Oh,
2: I was going to bring that up. Like,
0: J.J., you haven't been out that long. If you were to go just stand anywhere on the floor, just your just your sheer percentage would open up things on the floor. Have you thought about it at all? Well, I, I didn't think about it until Darvin Ham offered me a 10-day to play tonight. My issue was, though, it's really hard to breathe in Denver. Okay. And for someone who hasn't gotten up and down a basketball court in 18 months, I didn't think tonight was the right time nah, to come back.
2: I mean, it's kind of stunning to think, hey, we're, we're just going to bring in somebody to help everybody figure out how to shoot, right? So, like, that's not what you expect to hear when you're thinking about the Lakers and how they fix their woes.
1: Yeah, and also like, and no shade to Reddick, but like, it doesn't it also seem weird that there wouldn't be a shooting coach, or I don't know, just feels strained. The whole thing is desperate. And imagine just how how quickly we're turning to desperation in this situation, how long this season is going to feel. And again, for the wear and tear on LeBron's body, um, this is a guy that's still good enough to be a part of something And it's just really disappointing to see.
2: Yeah, it was also disappointing, by the way, to see the Nets last night. Not just that they lost, but Steve Nash was ejected for the first time as a coach. Uh, uh, Kendrick Perkins uh, threw out a little bit of shade on Twitter saying, essentially, hey, the good news is we didn't have to watch him not make adjustments. Uh, But essentially, we got a 110 99 loss uh, to the the Milwaukee Bucks. Another game, you mentioned that the Lakers game was close. The the game was close for a while between the Nets and the Bucks, and then Milwaukee just pulled away with it.
1: Yeah, and it's just it, – it's going to be like that for the Nets all season because their defense cannot – their defense can't hang at all, but it certainly can't play 60 minutes. Uh, very rare to see Steve Nash ejected. I guess he wanted to pull a clay and uh, first ejection as head coach, just like Clay would just ejected for the first time as a player. Um, he was fired up about that. I don't know if he was hoping to get a spark to his players, but, you know, we we mentioned down the stretch the Bucks just – couldn't be stopped 19 to four run in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Giannis, 43 points, 14 boards, Uh, Ben Simmons, again, just, you know, you kind of forget he's out there at times. And I'm, I'm fine with giving him some time to figure things out, but it's been tough to watch so far.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned Simmons and uh, there's a Twitter, uh, there's a tweet out there of Kyrie Irving. You can hear him on the floor screaming, shoot it, Ben, Mm -hmm. as Ben Simmons passes the ball out and like, I don't know if that helps or hurts in this process because certainly communication – like this is the weird part about Ben Simmons – uh, the difficult part, I should say, about Ben Simmons and dealing with it, because you know you've got somebody that has the yips and has had his share of mental issues he's been really honest about. So then as a teammate, how do you get the most out of him and not make him sort of fold there? So, But also, you get frustrated when he's got looks that you want and he's not being aggressive. I mean, we heard LeBron talk about the aggressiveness and the lack thereof as part of the problem. Well, I'd say that Ben Simmons lack of aggressiveness when it comes to doing anything with the basketball that involves something that could create a bucket is gonna become a frustration point for Kyrie
1: yeah I mean and I think you saw how that created debate online with Kyrie a lot of people and I would think the people who I believe are in the right agreeing with Kyrie that yeah there's there's some bodies in the paint but that should be a shot for an NBA center of his size that should be a look at the basket first at least not to mention take the shot he didn't even look he was immediately looking to pass
2: yeah, and and those are the moments too, where even if you don't love the look in some ways, I love the aggressiveness of trying to make some like body somebody up, like at least try and do something that makes them react to you. If you give, if you get rid of the ball right there, you've told them everything they need to know for the mm-hmm. rest of the game and how they defend you. So uh, nothing's going to get easier for the Nets or for the Lakers, but it'll be easier for us that we don't have a show tomorrow, so we won't have to ask about either of them getting it right. Right now, it all looks absolutely wrong we'll keep you updated on it though because that's part of the fun of covering the nba in the meantime we're about 15 minutes away from the start of thursday night football so we'll get you set for it next spain and fits on espn radio and the espn app
0: spain and fits the podcast